Good morning. So apparently, it's fall now. In case you had any doubt that uh, whoever decided that fall starts like the third week of September, the weather went ahead and confirmed that for us. All right. At the risk of starting a fight, I want to ask a question. Who's happy it's fall? Okay, I hear a few. Who, who misses summer already? Okay, this is evenly split, and some of you are like, ah, ah, I don't care. I kind of like the, the fall weather because it makes me think of football, and uh, I'm a big sweaty guy. In the fall, I don't sweat as much, so that's too much information, but uh, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and my, my football team is, you know, not got a losing record yet, um, TBD. TBD, TBD, so, yeah, so since I have started the service with one controversial question, I'll go ahead and ask another. Here it is. Is life fair? Is life fair? Well, fairness is one of those concepts that we latch on to as small children. Before we can speak in full sentences, we're able to to tell when something doesn't feel fair. What's one of the first phrases that kids learn? That's not fair. Have you ever said that? That's not, we're going to need that phrase today. So go ahead and help me with that. So in the count of three, we're going to say together, that's not fair. One, two, three. That's not fair. We're going to say that a few times. Even before we had the vocabulary to express it, uh, we could show that we think of something unfair. Have you ever had a group of kids together? Uh, if something's not fair or someone thinks it's not fair, you're going to find out. And even if the one who thinks it's unfair is still in like a, a, a stroller, they're, they're going to let you know. Of course, life feels unfair so much of the time, except when it feels like it's going our way. See, when, when things are going our way, we're more apt to feel like life is fair. The team that wins the football game doesn't complain about the bad job the referees did, am I right? They're like, ah, those referees, their vision is so good. When they made that call, they're not blind at all. It's all a matter of perspective. For example, have you ever been cruising down the highway, cruising down the highway a little faster than you should be? Oh, okay, more than a little faster than you should be. And you zip by, and you notice out of the corner of your eye, that was a state trooper parked over in that corner, and you keep watching that rearview mirror. You know, we had to drive to Roanoke the other day, and Katie said, why do you keep looking in the rearview mirror? I said, because there was a state trooper back there, and I was going a little, just a little too fast, just a little too fast, but it's nice when, you know, most of the time, at least at the speed that I drive anyway, which is not so crazy, uh, I don't get pulled over. I don't, I've never actually got pulled over for speeding. Just that one time, but that doesn't count. It was a long time ago, just one time. So on those moments where you could have gotten pulled over for speeding, but you didn't, you know somebody got busted at that spot, right? Somebody got a ticket that day. And is that fair? That's not fair. They got a ticket and you didn't. But does it bother you really bad? <laughs> that you didn't get the ticket? Did you turn around and pull in behind the state trooper, which is probably a terrible idea. Do not do that. But did you think that you should go back and turn yourself in? 
and say, wait a minute, sir, you didn't give me a ticket. Uh, I'm sure you've given other people tickets. It is unfair of me to not get a ticket. So, okay, by the look on your faces, I think you've, you've not done that. Okay. So my point is, sometimes life is unfair, and that's a good thing for us. Sometimes we benefit from the unfairness that we didn't get pulled over or we didn't get in trouble for something that uh, other, other people might have. Life isn't fair, but sometimes that is a good thing. So what does fairness mean anyway? Does fairness mean everybody gets exactly the same thing? I'm not sure that's going to work. Some people have different needs. Some people need a wheelchair to get around. Some people don't need a wheelchair to get around. Would it be fair to put everyone in a wheelchair? Certainly not. Would it be fair to withhold a wheelchair from everybody? No, that wouldn't work. Sameness and fairness aren't necessarily identical, except when you're giving out cookies, all right? Fairness says everybody gets one cookie. You know, everybody gets the same amount of cookies. If you've ever given out cookies, even the grown-up sense of fairness comes alive if you don't give things out the way you should. So in, when it comes to cookies, everyone getting the same thing is fair, but it's not going to work for more complex issues. So what, how can we define fairness? This is the best definition I've, I've found. We could say that fairness is freedom from bias dishonesty or injustice when we're fair we're guided by truth reason and justice to treat people fairly we don't necessarily treat them the same but we treat them impartially no favoritism and no discrimination okay that makes sense so armed with a little better understanding let's ask the question again is life fair no. No, life isn't fair. What's that phrase we're going to need today? That's not fair. No, life just isn't fair. Not with any cons- consistency. But you and I, we can choose to treat people fairly. And we can choose to advocate for other people to get fair treatment. As I have told my children, the only fights I want them getting in at school are the ones where they're standing up for someone who can't stand up for themselves. And if I find out they didn't fight that fight, that's when they're going to be in trouble. Sometimes we have to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves. So um, in the meantime, are we always going to be able to make things fair? No. Unfortunately not. We're just not. As much as we try, we're not going to be able to make everything fair. So we're going to have to find a way to live functionally in a world that is sometimes or maybe even often unfair. So we're going to go to a story in the Old Testament where unfairness played a major part, and that is in Genesis 37, if you want to be finding that, in Genesis 37. This is an example of unfairness in the place where most of us, the environment where most of us began to get an idea of what is fair and what is not. The home environment. The family unit. This is the place where the pain of unfairness can take the deepest root if there's a feeling of unfairness there. You know, we spend only a short amount of our times usually in living under the same roof as our family of origin. You may live with your family for 18 or 20 years, or maybe 
maybe even less. But the baggage we pick up there can last for life. Here's what I want us to see today. This is kind of the main thought, the, the main idea. I may have stuck this in after the scripture, Ethan, if you want to find that. I think that's in there. Here is the main thought. Life will always be a little unfair. Sometimes the unfairness will make life harder. Sometimes it'll make life easier, like when you didn't get pulled over. So here's the thought. When unfairness makes our lives harder, let's use the opportunity to grow in resilience and wisdom. When unfairness makes our lives easier, and sometimes it will, let's use it as an opportunity to grow in gratitude and awareness of our blessings. All right? There it is. So if anyone asks, what did the preacher preach on today? I don't know if that's a thing that happens in your life, but this is the thing that that you should say. You know, unfairness, it's always going to be a little unfair, but what we do with it makes all the difference. So we're going to go to this story in Genesis 37, verses 1 through 4, and you'll connect with someone in this story. Most of the time, we're going to connect with the underdog when it comes to unfairness. When it comes to unfair treatment, most of our, most of the time, or at least for me, I'll gravitate towards the person who's getting treated unfairly because I remember those times I've been treated unfairly and it, it's painful. So even though Joseph is the quote hero of the story, at this point, we might find ourselves identifying a bit more with his brothers who were the ones at a disadvantage because he, it wasn't fair. So, but maybe we can learn from both, both sides. So let's go to verse one here, Genesis 37 verses one through four. I'll read and I'll pray for us. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, this is his son, Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. We already get the sense this is a weird situation here. We'll explain later. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel, that is to say Jacob, that's another name for Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than all his other children, uh uh-oh, because he was the son of his old age. And he also made him a tunic of many colors. That's the coat of many colors, not the one that Dolly Parton sang about, the one from the Bible, the Bible one, okay? Uh, Some of y'all don't know your Dolly Parton. What part of the world are y'all from anyway? I mean... Either you were born here or you got here as quick as you could. You need to know who Dolly Parton is. Anyway, verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Father in heaven, we will experience unfairness sometimes and will witness unfairness. I pray you will make us people who seek to create fairness for others, but in those times where it's not fair, I pray you'll give us the right heart to respond to it in a way that we come out better for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's set the scene here. We have Jacob is the first person mentioned here. He is the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. These are the famous patriarchs in the Bible. These are the, the, the ones that Israel came from. We noticed that Jacob was called Israel in this passage, and his children are the children of Israel 
And that's another name for the, the nation, the, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. The, the Jewish people is what we might call them today. You see, Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter. That's a bunch of kids, 12 sons and one daughter. And each of his sons had lots and lots of descendants so that this large family grew into an even larger family and eventually into a nation. So the whole nation of Israel traces its ancestry back to Jacob. The, the Jewish people today, if they were able to trace their lineage, would find their way back to Jacob. So big, big family. Jacob's family situation was, uh, it was complicated. All right, it was unusually complicated. We live in 2021, and most family situations are not necessarily cut and dry. There's lot, many, many families have, you know, there's kids from a previous relationship or there's some history there. And, and most families make that work wonderfully, beautifully, and love that. Now, Jacob's family, uh, they made it work, but not that great. Okay, this is, man, this is, I'm about to make you feel better about your family drama. You got some drama in your family? You think your family's weird? You're about to feel a whole lot better about your family right now because Jacob's family is Woo, they would they would have a reality show on TLC. I'm just saying right now, they they TLC would find these people, and uh, it would be it would be rough. So, let's take a deep breath, and let's see if I can lay it out for you. All right, Jacob is the one. Jacob is at this point a wealthy, powerful man. Jacob wanted to marry a woman named Rachel. That would be great. Let's marry Rachel. All right, Rachel's pretty. He likes Rachel. But guess what? His future father-in-law tricked him into marrying the other sister. That's Leah. So he's married to a woman he doesn't love. And in those times, there's no way to get out of that. You don't get an annulment in the uh, you know 15th century BC or whatever we're at. You just don't get an annulment. So he's uh, but he can marry another woman. That's another problem. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So he decides, okay, I can't get rid of Leah. So I'm going to marry Rachel too. So we've got a sister wives situation here, and that was about as dramatic as you would think it would be. It created some problems. So he's got one wife he loves, one wife he doesn't, but the wife he doesn't love, he's, well, he loves her enough because she starts having kids. If you can connect the dots, you know what I'm saying? The fact that he doesn't really love her, apparently, um, you know, never mind. Anyway, mm, mm. I told you it's thick. I think it's getting bad. It's crazy up here. TLC would be all over this story. So Leah starts having kids. And even though she is not loved, this raises her status. In that culture, the ability to have children raised the status of a woman. I'm not saying that's good or right. That's just how it was. So she's able to have kids. She starts having a bunch of kids. And suddenly Leah's stock is rising. And Rachel, the wife that he actually loves, can't have kids. So she's getting insanely, crazily jealous. How insanely jealous? Well, she cooks up the idea that if she cannot have kids herself, she's going to get Jacob to uh, sort of kind of marry her handmaiden and have some kids with her. I'm telling you, that's... Sad, yeah, I'm, we wouldn't do that today. We also have things like IVF and surrogacy where someone could uh, carry someone else's child. That, could, that didn't happen back then. Back then, you would have a kid with the servant girl. How did that conversation go when Rachel came to him? I don't want to know. I don't even want to think about it. But apparently, she made her case, and I'm guessing he wasn't too hard to talk into the idea. And he had two kids with this servant girl who sort of kind of became his wife, sort of not, kind of like a concubine. And, but those kids technically counted for Rachel, all right? It's messed up, okay? Um, 
Meanwhile, this servant girl never really had a choice in the matter at all. No one ever bothered to ask her. And we would say, what's the title of this message? That's not fair. That's not fair. That was a problem. Okay, so Rachel's now feeling like she's doing better because she has some sort of kids with her husband's sort of other wife, and it's weird. And But uh, then Leah stops having kids. Oh, no, that's her ticket to being appreciated. She may not be loved, but she can have kids, so she gets respect. But now she can't have any kids. She stopped having kids. So she gets her servant girl and goes to Jacob and says, Jacob, if you could please. And then I don't know how that conversation went, but we know the results. There were two more children born that counted for Leah. Okay, now suddenly Rachel is able to get pregnant. The Lord opens Rachel's womb, and she has two children of her own and, uh, unfortunately, dies in childbirth with the second one whose name was Benjamin. So here we have Jacob, who has the only wife he loved is dead. Then he has another wife he doesn't love, and then he has two sort of wives, and he has 13 kids by four mamas. He's got four baby mamas, 13 kids, and it's a mess. Do you feel better about your weird family situation now? You feel a little better about it? It's it's better. <laughs> it's certainly, you know, I don't know what all you got going on, but it's probably not as weird as that. Um, let me just be very clear. Nowhere in the Word of God does it say what these people were doing was okay. God did promise many descendants to Jacob. But all this bringing multiple wives into the marriage and all this weirdness, that was human beings trying to manipulate the situation. God made a promise, but humans were trying to make the promise come true. I think if God makes a promise, he'll make sure the promise comes true. So a lot of this stuff that was happening really should not have happened, but God blessed it anyway. God did not bless Jacob with all these kids because what Jacob was doing was right. God blessed Jacob because of his grace, God's grace. Aren't you glad that God still blesses up, blesses us when we have done some messed up things? Because we've all done some messed up things. We've all really messed up. And if God can't bless messed up people, he's not going to bless anybody. And maybe Jacob's example is here to show us, even if your family's really messed up, God can still bless. So we have all these kids and, uh, well, it, it creates a kind of a difficult situation. We're going to follow one of the, the stories of one of these kids for the next several weeks, Lord willing, and his name is Joseph. Joseph is the favorite kid, and everybody knows it. Joseph is the first son of Rachel, the only wife Jacob actually loved. This is the one who died in childbirth. That favoritism is going to lead to a lot of unfairness and create a lot of jealousy between the brothers. And that might have been especially true between Joseph and the children of the two, the two servant girls. Remember, I said Bilhah and Zilpah, those are the ones that named in there. They were the, the servants that uh, he had kids with. And uh, their sons, it doesn't come out and say that these boys were the least favorite. But given Jacob's history of playing favorites, that might have been the case. Anyway, they certainly felt like Joseph was getting much better treatment. So here we have Joseph, the favorite son, out in the fields with these other four brothers who might have been the least favorite sons. Their names, if you're 
interested are Gad, Asher, Dan, and Naftali. So out there, the, the favorites and the least favorites, probably the least favorites, are out there together, and it, it's, that's already a powder keg. And then Joseph comes back and tells his dad, Jacob, that his brothers have been up to something sketchy, and we're not told what that sketchy thing is. These young men are probably in their early 20s, maybe their late teens, and frankly, that's not the time of life when men are making the very best decisions. Uh, I remember being that age, and a lot of my regrets came from that age. So who knows what they were doing, but Joseph coming home and narking them out went over about as well as you would think. They already disliked Joseph. Now they hate Joseph. And that hatred is going to play a significant role as the larger story unfolds over the coming weeks. So just in case we haven't read the signs, verse 3 specifically tells us that Joseph is the favorite. That is written into the biblical record. And one of the ways that Jacob demonstrated his favoritism towards Joseph was by giving him a tunic or a coat made of many colors of fabric. Okay, I'll level with you. Maybe I'm not fashionable enough to understand this. But if my dad bought me a really colorful jacket and expected me to wear it in public, that's probably not, I would not feel special, okay? You know, my dad's a fashionable guy. He's rocking the bibbed overalls right now. He was just born a couple of centuries too late. He'd been the handsomest, best-dressed man in the 18, 1700s, something like that. He's still, he's still looking pretty good. All right, I don't want to give you a big head, Dad. All right, just calm down, calm down. But anyway, in that culture, it was very different. Remember, uh, all the cloth had to be made by hand. It would have been very expensive. A common person probably would have had the clothes on their back, and if they're lucky, one more thing, one more piece of clothes that they could wear while they're washing the first one, okay? And uh, Jacob's definitely better off than that, but most of his kids would have worn something not as fancy. It might have been, you know, a single color um, because fabric dyes were expensive and rare in those days. So they are wearing something relatively plain, and he is wearing something very fancy. They were wearing T-shirts and jeans from Walmart, and he was wearing an Armani suit. Favoritism. Or to put it, to put it in the context of Southwest Virginia... The other boys were driving a 92 Camry that they had to share. And Joseph got the new F-350 with all the bells and whistles. Ah, now we understand that. Okay. Yeah, the coat of many colors thing. Yeah, but, but that F-350 suddenly. And I'm sure he had daddy's credit card to put gas in the F-350. Well, you know, something like that, if, that was, if that's what we were doing. So uh, the, the favoritism was a real problem. It was... Well, let's say it together. That's not fair. It's not fair. We know it's not fair. Favoritism and unfairness is a very real thing in a lot of families. And it can cause pain that can mess folks up for a lifetime. As a, I've been a pastor for a long time. I worked with a lot of families around times of funerals when, when, say, a parent has passed away. And I could tell you there's often a lot of hard feelings between siblings uh, especially because uh, when there's some unfairness, whether it was actual unfairness or at least perceived unfairness, and let's just, frankly, if there's a perception of unfairness, that's a problem in itself. It can literally follow people to the grave and beyond. So I've got to give a shout-out to my parents. You know, it always, they always 
made things fair, you know. There's always, there's a kind of a running joke about who's the favorite kid. But we have stopped making that joke because it is absolutely clear who the favorite child is. And it's not me. You see, after uh, all of us kids grew up and moved out, you know, my parents adopted another child, okay? And he is beyond question the favorite. And I ain't even mad about it. You should meet him. He is the goodest boy. He is a border collie. And his name is Bodoc. And he is he is he has been to church service. He's not been to the indoor service, he's been to the outdoor service. He's the best boy. I ain't even mad. You know what? He he is the goodest of boys. So <laughs> look, if you if you managed to get through your family of origin and you didn't experience unfairness, if you didn't experience unfairness growing up, you're blessed. You're blessed. A lot of people don't get that. And if um if you know what it's like to feel that unfairness in your in your family of origin, you could you could testify. It it's really tough. It hurts in ways that are hard to under explain. Even if you managed to miss out on feelings of unfairness there, then you went off to school. And you went off to work. And you went off in the world. And the world is not a fair place. We'll often experience unfairness. Everybody has a story to tell. You could tell your story. I could tell my story. In this world, it doesn't always feel like our hard work is rewarded. Sometimes we catch a break and things go well and other times it feels like things are working out for everyone else around us and not for us. So, even though Joseph is the hero of this story, we can kind of relate to his brothers a little more right here, right now. Now, we don't want to be like what his brothers are going to do. Um, if you've ever experienced any uh, favoritism or jealousy in your home of origin, I hope you didn't decide to sell your little brother. Uh, some of you may have. Some of you are the little brother that someone tried to sell. All right. I just, I'm going to say, they, your sisters probably tried to sell you, didn't they, Donnie? They, they did. Uh, uh, you know, Alexis has said that she wanted to sell Elijah, but multiple times apparently. So yeah, let's not do that. Let's not carry it that far. But but we're no stranger to the feeling, are we? We're no stranger to the feeling. I'm no stranger to the feeling. Uh, my family's had a lot of had a lot of challenges, and I've been thinking over the last decade, it's like everything in our lives has been turned upside down. Uh, you know, there's periods of times where we didn't go a week without somebody in the ER. Usually my wife, but sometimes the kids. And once, once or twice, it was me. You know, it was a lot of tough times. I got to give God the glory. I hope it stays this way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise God like it's going to stay this way. But for the first time in about nine years, Katie feels kind of okay. She feels pretty good. I mean, she's still got more issues than most of us could handle on a daily basis. But all of her issues are, are kind of being... Um, managed managed that's a good word they're being managed and i just give god the glory i give god the glory but we know what it's like to to feel un, unfairness and we certainly you know all those medical bills you know what that does to your bank account and you know there's been a lot of stress in ministry uh my life is in a very different place than it was 10 years ago you know it's a lot a lot is going on so we we know that feeling of unfairness and i confess i've been grouchy with the lord sometimes do you ever get grouchy with the lord 
Y'all are far too sanctified for that. Y'all are too busy polishing your halo to be grouchy with the Lord, right? Uh, well, I, I, still, I still manage to find the time that I've had times where I've, I've complained and basically said, Lord, I've tried. I've done trying to do what I'm supposed to. I've given so much and you know, I don't feel like I have much to show for it. And then, then it hits me. Oh, it hits me that if anybody has the right to complain, it's not me. God has given me more than I've ever given back to him or will ever manage to be able to give back to him. There, God does not run up debts. We are in debt to him. There is nobody that can say that God owes me and didn't pay me back. That's just not how it works. You know, maybe I've caught some bad breaks now and then, but I've also received a lot of blessings that I didn't deserve. And I'm looking at some blessings here. It's a blessing to know you guys and have you as a part of my life. And uh, If we get hung up on the unfairness of life, if we kind of make that the thing that we center on and focus on, why is life unfair? Why is it so unfair? You know what it's going to do? Is it going to make life fair? Will it work? Will it make your life more fair if all you focus on is how unfair it is? No. What it will make you is unhappy, bitter, jealous. It'll take the happiness you do have away, and it will make you ungrateful for the blessings you do have. So here's the facts. Here's the facts. We should do what we can to treat other people fairly. We should do what we can to see that other people get treated fairly. But even with all of that, life is still going to be a little unfair sometimes. There will be times when we feel like someone else is getting what we should have gotten. But at least sometimes, we're going to get some blessings that maybe we didn't deserve as well. So whatever the case on a given day, we're left with the choice of how to respond. How are we going to respond? How are we going to respond when the unfairness of life makes life more difficult. Hmm. Well, let me tell you first, just because life is unfair doesn't mean that you're not worthy. It doesn't mean you're undeserving. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you know, you're, you're bad or don't, don't deserve good things. I want you to know that. It certainly is not proof that you should give up when things are unfair it's not proof that you should give up. And it's certainly not proof that God doesn't care about you. I don't know if you have those pity party moments, but I do now and then to say, okay, Lord, this feels very unfair. You know, I, I, shouldn't, even, I shouldn't even be trying because it feels so unfair. Here's the truth. Even if your situation is not favorable right now, if you're a child of God, his favor is upon you. His favor is upon you. What about those times when we... When things go our way, when um, things we get more blessings than we deserve, when we catch a break, well, let's not let it go to our heads. It's a lot easier to assume that we deserve the good things that come to us than the bad things. But to loosely paraphrase Proverbs 18.6, it's a very loose paraphrase, smugness is asking to get smacked. If you don't want to be smacked, don't be smug about your blessings. Man, there's nothing more frustrating than someone who does the humble brag thing. You know what I'm talking about? It's, ah, oh, got to get new tires on my Ferrari today. Mm. 
was busy doing burnouts everywhere. Now I've worn out my tires and my Ferrari. No, nobody wants to hear that. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. So uh, if God gave us what we really deserved, do you think we'd like what we got? Mm. Not when God sees everything we've ever done wrong. We get better than what we deserve. Aren't you glad that God is, God is a fair God, but he blesses us beyond what's fair. You agree with that? Let's consider, when things go our way, let's not just decide it's because we're so wonderful and good and the world, the universe owes us blessings. Let's consider it an opportunity to grow in gratitude and to become more aware of the blessings that we have that not everybody gets. Life can be unfair. What's our phrase for the day? that's not fair. I mean, we know that. You're going to say that this week. You're going to see some things this week, and you're going to say, that's not fair. We said that at church. That's not fair. But we get to choose how we respond to the unfairness. We can't always fix the unfairness, but we can always choose how we respond to it. I want to introduce you to a fellow here. His name is Jim Thorpe. This story played out a long time ago, so not everyone knows who he is. Jim Thorpe experienced a tremendous amount of unfairness. As a Native American in the early 20th century, he dealt with a tremendous amount of injustice and poverty and racism. His parents and his twin brother died while he was still young. Despite the unfairness, he worked his way to greatness. He represented the United States in the 1912 Olympics in Stockholm. He was a tremendous athlete. But before the events began... Somebody stole his shoes, stole his only pair of shoes. And we would say to that, that's not fair. He could have quit. It was unfair. He could have quit. But he didn't. You know what he did? He and his manager dug through the trash can and found some shoes. And if you look very closely at this picture, these are mismatched shoes. These are two different kinds of shoes and he's wearing two socks on one foot because one of the shoes was too big for him, and he was trying to make up for the fact that shoes are two different sizes. Wearing these mismatched shoes that he dug out of the trash, this man won two gold medals. And he set a record, an Olympic record, in the 100-meter dash that lasted for decades. It was unfair. Definitely unfair. But... The unfairness only provided a higher platform from which to display his excellence, an Olympic platform. Life isn't fair. It's not. Favoritism can and does happen. Discrimination can and does happen, and so much of it is out of our control. But we choose what to do with it. We choose to leverage it to grow in resilience and gratitude. Whatever else happens, whatever else happens, you are favored by God. How do we know this? How do we know that God loves us, God favors us? Well, maybe the very best evidence is he sent his son Jesus for us. I don't know what greater proof you want than that. Uh, we could make a big old list, but right at the top is Jesus. God loves us so much. You know what? Someday Jesus is going to come. We just got through a long series of messages. There won't be any unfairness once Jesus is on the throne. In the meantime... We have choices to make. We need to choose to be people who treat others fairly. We need to choose to be people who stands up when they see someone else being mistreated. 
And let's be people who aren't discouraged by unfairness that is given to us or puffed up by the things that come our way. So we're going to pray right now. We want to give God the unfairness. We all experience unfairness. We see it. We live it. Uh, Our situations. You might be in a situation right now that feels very unfair. Let's just give it to the Lord right now. Our dear Heavenly Father, there's so much in the world around us that makes us say, that's not fair. And so often it isn't. Lord, if we as mere mortals, if our sense of justice is so often inflamed by the unfairness of the world, Father, I can only imagine how much it must bother you. In this world, it's not fair. We know you're bringing a fair world. In the meantime, Lord, give us the skills to cope with the unfairness around us. I pray you will help us to be people who are fair. People who don't show favoritism or discrimination, who treat people right. Lord, I pray that we'll be a a part of, of creating fairness for other people around us. Lord, The days when unfairness makes our lives harder, I pray it will make us stronger. And the days when unfairness makes our lives easier, I pray it will make us more grateful. Father, we give it all to you, knowing that you're the one who can help us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I'm glad to have you as a part of what we're doing here. And uh, Lord willing, we're going to start this new series on Joseph. So let people know there's a lot more to come. God bless you. Catch you next time.